You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family has big plans for Labor Day weekend, but our outfits aren't measuring up. Then get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's huge Labor Day sale is on now. Get 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, 50% off all tees, and 50% off all sweatshirts and hoodies for the whole family. 50% off all those styles? That's a big deal. So is this. Styles start at just six bucks at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Change of plans. We're spending the weekend at Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 830-93. Excludes in-store clearance. Active licensed and men's package tees. Welcome to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Uh, As always, before I start my shows, I want to tell you about books that have been released this week. Um, At the top of my list is my guest today's new book, Trust Me, by Hank Philippi Ryan. Um, I had the opportunity to read this book when it first came out in galley form. Uh, Trust me when I tell you trust me, is the best. I also want to make mention that J.D. Rhodes has a new book called Fortunate Son. Christy Craig, Don't Close Your Eyes. Uh, Dina Santorelli is releasing Baby Carter. Lisa Black, my Florida friend, uh, Suffer the Children. Her book just came out. Erin Nicholas, Going Down Easy, part of her new um, uh, New Orleans series. And the wonderful Brenda Novak uh, has just released Face Off. I I know every single one of you know who Hank Philippi Ryan is. I don't know if you know that she's won over 50 awards for her on-air investigative reporting for a television station in Boston. Um, she's brought down criminal enterprises. She's changed laws. She's righted wrongs. She's almost like the the knight on the, in shining armor on her white horse. Um, Aside from that, she also has won just about every literary award for her writing there is. I am so, so honored to have Hank Philippi Ryan with me today. Um, We've known each other for years and see each other at all the conferences, and yet this is the first time she's been on my show. Hank, welcome, welcome, welcome to Authors on the Air. Thank you so much. I'm just laughing and laughing. What a joy to hear this wonderful introduction. Thank you, dear Pam. And I'm picturing oh my. myself in a. I'm picturing myself in armor on a white horse. That, that's pretty funny. I have to say. You know, I, I grew up in really rural Indiana, and my I know sister you and I used, and my sister and I used to ride our ponies through the library to get books. Um, and I so love that's that. That's about as close to the knight in shining armor on the white horse as, as I'm going to get. I think. You know, uh, Hank, I think people know you for your books and 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 also know that you are an on-air personality as well, not just a personality, but a hard-hitting investigative reporter. I don't I don't know how many people know the extent of the work that you've done as an investigative reporter. And to me, um, that 
is really speaks to who you are as as an individual. Um, you know, you you've righted an awful lot of wrongs, including a jury system that wasn't working, firefighters who were given equipment that was outdated and and actually not even safe. Um, you've investigated the mortgage industry and and contractors who are screwing over clients and all. You know, those things to me are the measure of a woman. Never mind that you're talented writing in your your lovely books. Um, the most important question I want to ask you today is why were you named Hank? <laughs> you are the antithesis of every Hank I've ever imagined. And for those of you who've never seen Hank, she's tiny. She's absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. Um, some of her earliest pictures have her sitting on a on a table in this lovely long dress with her husband. She's just absolutely the, the ideal image of everything sassy and sexy that a woman should be. I just love listening to you. This is great. I'm so glad I'm here. I'm in the midst of finishing my new. I'm in the midst of finishing my new novel, which is due today. And if there oh were ever a day that I needed some reassurance. Uh, this is it. You know, you know, I've wired myself with hidden cameras and confronted corrupt politicians and gone undercover and in disguise. And, you know, it is interesting to think that our stories over all these years have changed laws and changed lives. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of that. I always think that people say, what's the best story you've ever done? And they, you know, I think it's the one that's around the next corner. It's the one that's Absolutely. still waiting. Um, for me to discover, and I think that's the same way about my novels. Um, when I find a great story, as I did in Trust Me, my newest book, when I find a great story, I just can't wait to tell it. And the craft of it, you know, it's it's sort of a series of, it's sort of like cooking, you know, you, you have a wonderful idea, and then you figure out how to create it, and then you actually go through the sort of joyous artistic craft of actually creating it. And then there's the glory of, you know, presenting your pie or your brand-new novel to your friends and loved ones, and you say, look what this is. You know, I, I want to share this with you. Look at my new book. Um, what do you think? And then there's the dishonor and glory uh, uh, and immense satisfaction of having people say, trust me, I love this. You know, I love this. It's delicious. So I, you know, it's a it's a wonderful, satisfying, sort of personally refueling um, enterprise to um, tell tell stories, whether they're my fiction um, in my novels or nonfiction on television as an investigative journalist. You know, storytelling I've loved since you know, when we when we're little, if we're lucky, somebody puts them on a puts us on their lap and says, "Once upon a time." And exactly. you know, the, wor- the walls fall away and the world changes. And it gives me great joy to be able to bring that kind of delight and entertainment and, you know, suspense since I write suspense thrillers. Trust me, it's a psychological thriller. You know, I want people to be turning the pages as fast as they possibly can. You know, I want them to miss their stop on the subway because they're reading Trust Me and they can't put it down. Um, that's, that's the joy. Of so it's a treat in every Hank, way. what is the nexus between your nonfiction investigative journalism and your fiction 
thriller writing. How does one uh, carry over or learn from those two com- almost completely opposite uh, professions, one in fiction and one in, one in non? Um, what, what do you learn from each of those things that you carry into the other? Well, you know, I've been a television reporter for 40 years. And so essentially, I know that's hard to believe, right? Essentially, I've been telling a story every day for 40 years with a beginning, middle, and end, with a period you care about, with a problem that needs to be solved. You know, I'm tracking down clues and following leads and doing research. I, I, I want the good guys to win, and I want the bad guys to get what's coming to them. And in the end, I want to change the world and get some justice. And if you think about it in those terms, whether I'm making a fictional story like that or doing investigative journalism, journalism using just the facts that I have been given or told or things I see or what I look up or what I learn or what, what's evolved to my interviews, that's the same. It's the same, isn't it? You know, I, it I don't want, I, I don't, it's taking a lot of complicated information and making it riveting and entertaining and important and new and and compelling. You know, I don't want you to turn the channel when you're watching my stories, and I sure. want you to. I don't, I don't want you to put the book down when you're reading. And that um, skill and craft and sort of writing storytelling education is really similar if you think about it. You know, when I started writing fiction. The thing I really worried about was whether I could make stuff up. And that's, you know, I think one of the things you're getting at so yes. uh, concisely is that how do, after all those years of facts and documents and, and interviews and investigation, do I sit at my computer in my study at home with the sugar maple outside and the sun streaming through the curtain? And just make something up. Could I just make up a story? Um, and it turned out to be such a revelation and such a treat that I loved it. You know, it, sometimes I'll be writing and I look up and three hours has gone by. And how, how does that wow. happen? And it's because right. I'm in this new world. I'm in the trusty world of Mercer Hennessy and Ashlyn Bryant, for instance, and wondering right. what's going to happen and who's going to say what next and what are they going to do and the only way I can the only way I can find that out is by writing uh, the next page. So interesting. It out that that it turns out that sort of attuning my brain to storytelling as a reporter over all these years has coalesced that skill of um, keeping it interesting. You know, right, knowing right, right. what's important on every page. I say to myself. Why is this here? What is this for? What are we doing here? Why does this matter? How does it advance the story? Is this interesting? Is this making me compelled to read it? It, 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 it? If it isn't, then it goes. And just like editing in television, when I sit in the little edit booth with my video editor and make a little movie out of my stories, you know, that's what I'm doing on the page when I'm writing, is I'm yes. trying to make a visual movie for my reader. So. When people, when my readers say, "Oh, I read Trust Me," I can just see that. I can just envision those two. I think right. you know, I've, I've succeeded. That's exactly what I want to have happen. 
So you it's know, not um, so much difference. I look at it as the same, Pam. I, I really. I, I guess. I guess so. You know, I had never thought about it like that. It's storytelling, one way or the other, um, yeah. and uh, and yes, it is. And I can see that. I, I want to kind of take us back to the other woman. Um, that particular book, I think, received more accolades than any other book of the year. Um, <laughs> did you? Did you? Are you still having fun writing, Hank? Are you having fun putting the words on paper and and bringing these stories alive, or is it fun when it's done and you hear what your readers have to say about your work? Well, you know, oh, you know, if, if we were all if we were together face to face and you saw my face when you said the word fun, my eyebrows just sort of went up. That's such an interesting question because. I think in a room full of authors, if you had said, is it fun, the, the place would burst out laughing. You know, um, right. it's very difficult. When I started writing, um, and thank you for the kind words about the other woman, that was 2012, and it did right. win everything. That was my first um, That was my first investigative thriller, and yes. um, it won the Mary Higgins Clark Award, and it's in, when it, yes. it's in my Jane Ryland series, which is a series of standalones can read right. in any order. So, I have all uh, those books, by the way. But leading up to The Other Woman, of course I have The Other Woman and everything after that, but I still have all those books on my bookshelf. And when I oh, knew I was going to I was going to talk to you. I had to, you know, I had to go digging through all of them and pull everything out and kind of remind myself how many books you've you've actually written. But let's go back to the question. Is writing fun? <laughs> writing fun. Um, writing, there's a couple of, and forgive me for this, but there are a couple of levels of fun. There's, there's the fun of when you realize that you have a good idea. You know, that is the crux of, the, of, the, of every novel, is that I start with this one gorgeous, beautiful, unique, compelling gem of an idea, like I right. did in Trust Me. And I think, oh, this is going to be the book. And it's fun when you write chapter one because you think, this is a new adventure. This is going to be, trust me, I can't wait to find out what happens. And then there's the moment where you think, oh, my gosh, there are 400 pages to go, and I have no yeah, idea now what next. Yeah, now what? <laughs> and then as you're writing, there are good days and bad days. And I tell this in, in classes that I teach. I tell my, my students and, and fellow authors, you know, there is, there's no such thing as a good writing day every day. And if you have a good writing day every day, you're probably not working hard enough. You know, right. there needs to be some level of self-doubt, I, I hate to say that, but you have to sort of second-guess yourself and push yourself and sure. push yourself. So sure. that is, that's fun in its own way, too, that sort of challenging myself through the book to make it be better than the last one, better than anything I've ever written, more risky, more challenging, more really fascinating. You know, and there were times when I was writing Trust Me that I honestly, and I can reveal to you because it's just us, I, I, I stood up in my, in my study and I applauded. I thought, oh, this is a good idea. And then I you know, <laughs> sat down and thought, hey, you know, just calm down here, you know, whatever. So there's the, the fun of the fuel along the way, like Goldilocks picking up the breadcrumbs in the forest, you know, oh boy, yes. there's another good idea, oh boy, there's another good idea and that leads you down, that leads you through the hard writing days. And then there's the day that I finish 
my first draft. And I know that the first draft is not good, but at least it's the story. At least I can go back and pick it. Then there's the joy of revision. Oh, my goodness. I love revision. I love Do you really? The first draft. Oh, my goodness. Revisions are the ball game. Revisions are when the book gets to be made good. Revisions are when you see what you meant to write, and that's what stays, and you take out the parts that don't mean anything or that where you were just experimenting or trying something, and it didn't go anywhere. I mean, there's that cliche about kill your darlings. They're not darlings to me. They're not darlings to me at all. You know, if they are dragging down my book or making it slow or draggy, I don't want that in the book. So that's not darling. That's a problem. That I, when I recognize something that uh, I don't need or the book doesn't need, I'm happy to slash it. And then wow. when you take out what doesn't, what doesn't matter in your book, when you take out what doesn't matter in the book and you see what's left, that's the book you meant to write. And sometimes when that happens, when you take out this, the task, you see you see how it all crystallizes together. You see what's really there. And that is the most fun. That is the most fun. Your, um, editor must, your editors must love you, Hank. That's all I can say. Your editors must, you know, you sound like you're turning in pristine manuscripts. And I'm sure the, edi- the editor who works with you is saying, I love this woman. Why aren't all my, why aren't all my writers like this? <laughs> well, that's you know. my editor. My edit. My editor at Ford. Her, her name is Kristen Sevick, and she is brilliant. She is brilliant. I mean, I have, I have. You know, after all my years in television, I've worked with a lot of um, editors and producers. Yes. And, you know, it's a kind of a. It's a necessarily collaborative venture. So I have. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that's so valuable that I've learned over the years is, you know, that I could be wrong. I could be wrong. That's great. You know, if somebody else has a better idea. I'm thrilled to put that in my story or book. You know, whatever works. Sure. I, I don't have any um, frantic ownership of my ideas. If somebody else has a better one, you know, give me it. You know, that's, that's great. And Kristen knows that I value and respect and love her writing judgment. So if she says, you know, I'm not quite sure that works, I think, sure, all right, let's try it another way. And the other thing about having a brilliant editor, and, and I'm very lucky to have her, is that when she reads my manuscript, she is reading it with these new eyes, and she'll say, yes. you know, wow, you know, I loved your book about redemption. And I'm like, yeah, redemption, sure, that's what it's about, that's what I meant. <laughs> she, she, she sees what I wrote in the bigger, richer picture than I can. You know, when I could tell sure. you everything, if you change one word in my manuscript, I would, I would say, wait a minute, I didn't write that. I would know. <laughs> but I, but so I have funny. less, uh, isn't it? I have less an idea of what a real person reading the book will take from it. Because I wow. will never be that, right? And right. the thing that always strikes me, you know, people say in revision, how do you know when you're finished? And I, and I have a way, and that way is, like it happened with Trust Me. And Trust Me, when I was working on the revision, there was a moment where I realized that I was just reading it, that I, I had forgot that I wrote it. I was just How lovely. reading it like a story. And I thought, well, I guess, I guess this is done, you know, because my editor brain had turned off and my reader brain had turned on. And that, How lovely. That was, I get goosebumps telling you about it. I had to admit. 
You know, I want you to. Uh, you, I, I we just assume that everyone knows this book because, but they can't because it just released this week. Will you tell listeners the story of Trust Me, please? Well, you know, um, you, you, you're a pro, so you know about the elevator pitch, and you know that absolutely. The elevator pitch is, you, you know when you're, you get to go ahead and take 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 a very long elevator from the very top <laughs> floor all well, the way down to, as much time as you want. <laughs> well, see, I'm thinking about going up. That's the question. I, you know, when okay. you get into the elevator, and when you get into the elevator, and there's Steven Spielberg, and you know, there you go. Says, what's what's your book about? And you have 25 right. full floors to tell him. Um, it's a, this is my first standalone. It's a psychological standalone, a psychological thriller um, for fans of Ruth Ware and Louise Handlish and B.A. Paris and Mary Kubica and Megan Miranda. Right. It's in that vein. It is like those books, but readers of those books of that, those authors um, will certainly em, embrace that. Um, and my first standalone is a big crossroad for me too. That's a big step where I knew that in this book anything could happen. So what it turns one obsessed journalist, one troubled mom, and these two smart women face off in a high stakes at the mountain to prove their truth about a terrible crime. The problem is which one is the cat and which one is the mouse. Um, As as our story opens, the main character, Mr. Hennessy, is writing a number in the condensed steam on her bathroom mirror. She, with one finger, writes 442. This is her ritual that she does every day, counting the days since her darling family was taken away from her 442 days as the book opened. She was a magazine writer, an up-and-coming successful magazine writer who quit her job, left her career to be a wife and mom um, to her loving family. And after a terrible accident, she is just, as the book opens, recovering from this grief. And she's offered a job, sort of the job that will bring her back to the world. She's so sad and so grief-stricken that she can't really figure out a reason to get up in the morning and actually considers burning down her house um, just to have something, just to have it over with. And her editor from the past calls her, this is on page one, and offers her a gig, a writing gig, cover the trial of a notorious party girl accused murderer named Ashlyn Bryant. And to write the true crime nonfiction narrative like in cold blood of the story of what happened to Ashlyn Bryant's daughter, Tasha Nicole Bryant, a two-year-old little girl who was found wrapped in a garbage bag in Boston Harbor. And Mercer, Mercer takes this job with a vengeance because she figures writing this true crime book will be, will honor her own daughter who was killed. And she's doing this for every little girl who ever was taken unfairly from her family. And this is going to be justice and this is going to be honor and this is going to give her a reason to live and remind the world that life is unfair and shouldn't be unfair and that justice should prevail. And she's a reporter, right? So she's going to use all of her reporter skills to write this true crime book in the way she wants it to turn out. And that turned out to be 
a pretty risky venture, one which lures her into a world that she could not have predicted. So which one is the cat and which one is the mouse? I have to say that, you know, I'm a pretty prolific reader, and um, I I generally can get through a book in a day. And um, when when I got the galley for Trust Me, I I really had to I intentionally slowed down my normally very quick reading style because it's so twisty turny and there if you miss the nuances of the story if you read normally as fast as I do it is one that you I felt as a reader Hank I felt invested in the actual outcome of this book that's how real it felt to me. And and I wanna thank you I, I wanna thank you for that as a reader, as a someone who I read four hundred books a year, so this is you know, for me to be that invested in storytelling, um, really reminds me what a great writer you are. And so thank you for that experience. <laughs> thank you. This is so great. I'm just sort of sitting here staring out the window of my hotel room thinking, well, this is why I exist, you know, and to have people say, say things like that. I'm I'm really proud of that. Thank you. And, you know, I, when a good book, and I thank you for calling Trusty a good book, um, you know, it, it, a good book is a very special thing. And these are very personal choices. I mean, you know, there are people who – we don't all agree. There are books that I read that I love, and my husband says, "No, I didn't think that was so great." So, right. You know, one of the one of the one of the quandaries of the universe is knowing that you can't please everyone with the book, and that's fine. You know, it's fine. But trust me, in getting this wonderful response, I mean, Booklist Star Review called it a knockout. You know, that yes. that's that's great. And Lisa Holstein, you know her; she's so great. A wonderful reviewer yes. said it. Yes. This summer's Gone Girl, although she said she liked it better. So well, I did too. To be honest with okay. you, I liked it way, 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 way better. <laughs> oh, that's so that's nice to hear. I'm sure Jillian Flynn is not is not uh, doesn't worry about Hank Phillippe Ryan, but I'm glad to be sort of in the same category with you know that brilliant. I mean, I loved it. So that brilliant book. So I. For me, um, this response has it has been a, a joy. I'm, I've heard from people all over the country who are just gushing over trust me, and it's just wonderful. I mean, when you talk about it, whether writing is fun, and on the days that I sat at my computer and shook my head and thought, "Whose idea was this? This is never going to work." I mean, it takes <laughs> It came from a really interesting place. Let me tell you that really quickly. My husband is a criminal defense attorney. Yes. And he was he was involved, and he's just such a good guy. And um, he was involved in a really notorious murder trial. And one Sunday morning, we were sitting at the kitchen table, and he was practicing his closing argument. And I, you know, I was listening, and I was nodding, and I was completely convinced that his client, he was representing the defendant in a really hideous murder trial. I was really convinced that his client was innocent. Based on what Jonathan was saying to me in his closing arguments, I was really convinced his client was innocent. Absolutely no question about it. This is an acquittal. Slam dunk acquittal, I said to be hard. Slam dunk acquittal. 
And then I started imagining the prosecutor's wife sitting across town listening to her husband give his closing argument in the same murder trial. And I wondered if she was looking at her husband and saying, oh, honey, you got this. Slam dunk guilty. You know, you've right. this, this guy is guilty. And I realized that um, there was truth. Yes, there are. From the same story. And I wonder if you know, there are three sides to every story. There were Jonathan and the prosecutors. And there was something that was the truth, and that was a that I agree. Elusive. And I wondered at that moment whether I could write a, a, a psychological thriller where I used exactly the same evidence to create two and maybe three perfectly believable stories that could be right. made from exactly the same evidence. And that's what I tried to do in Trust Me. And it was really a profound moment for me to realize um, what is that truth? You know, how do we know that? That's is right. there a singular truth? And Mercer, as you remember, realizes that it's difficult to write a true crime novel if you don't know the truth. Exactly. How do you know? Well, it's interesting that you're you're saying this because I, I had a conversation with someone the other day about three kinds of truths, and she said, "Well, what do you mean? There's one side or the other?" And I said, "No, there there is not one side or the other. There are there are three sides. Absolutely, there is the truth as one side believes it. The truth is the other side believes it. But then there's this, you know." third eye kind of looking down and that is the real truth. So I, I understand. Exactly, I see. I know exactly what exactly you're talking what about. Is about. That's exactly what trust me is about. That yes. realization. And I'm hoping that, you know, besides giving people just a riveting reading experience, I hope trust me sort of makes us see the world in a different way. You know, is something true because we believe it to be true. Even a reporter, you know, even Mercer Hennessy realizes that she's seeing the world through her belief of what she believes. Her own belief system, sure. Exactly. And she learns to open her mind to the possibility of another truth. And that isn't always easy. You know, Hank, in a, in a, in a, a worldview beyond the experience of reading your book, um, this is ever so much true it's truer in, in today's world events. Uh, you know, it's what is the real truth out there? It's a very timely book. If you look at it on this esoteric level beyond just the story that you're telling where, you know, what is the truth? There's somebody's truth and another person's truth. And then there's this reality truth, I guess is the way I want to say it. So, uh, you know, we could discuss the, the psychological implications of this book, but we can also talk about the real world implications of what is truth. And so, um, which leads me to say, I've taken up so much of your time, but I want to talk to you for another two or three hours. And I know that's not possible (laughs) because you're you're so fascinating and it's so interesting. First of all, um, tell everyone where they can find you on the webs and in social media, please. Oh, wonderful. I love, I'm, I'm so ridiculously involved in social media. So uh, it's crazy. And sometimes I just have to stop myself from chatting with readers because I need to get back to writing. So but I'm on Instagram. At Hank, I'm, I'm on Instagram. Come find me right now on Instagram on Hank T. Ryan and on Facebook at Hank Philippi Ryan author and Twitter at Hank T. 
Ryan. Um, come to my website, and that will have all the links. I have and the website is blogs. beautiful. Thank it's a oh beautiful website. I have it open right now. And um, and Hank's website, fortunately, is not one of those that you have to, like, crawl through a million different tasks and everything to figure it out. Great photos, great event information. Uh, you can read the long story or the short story about Hank Phillippe Ryan. So I <laughs> encourage everyone to go there. Um, just, I have another question I had, and you didn't answer me, and I know there's a, I may have skipped right over it real quick. How did you get your first name, Hank? Oh, I thought I had cleverly shepherded you away from that question. You did, I thought you but I, <laughs> you know, uh, um, like I, you do, I, I remember everything when I'm talking oh, to right, someone. Right. <laughs> I am, um, my real, my, uh, let me just say that I was the geekiest, nerdiest little kid that you could ever possibly imagine. And it did not help that my name is Harriet. So when all the cool girls were Debbie and Linda and I was Harriet, it was horrible. I, you know, it was not Harriet the Spy hadn't been written yet when I was the age that I would have read it. Or I would have been Harriet probably, but it wasn't cool yet. And my only Harriet when I was a kid was, well, you know, a preteen was Harriet Jane. But that wasn't enough in rural Indiana. So someone in college, my first day of college, said, you don't look like a Harriet. We'll call you Hank. And I don't even remember who that was. And that was so many wow. years ago. And I've wow. been Hank since then. And I didn't say, do I look like a Hank? I just thought, you know, anything but Harriet. Now, I'd love to be, I'd love to be Harriet. I, I love that name. I, I embrace it. Um, when my mother was dying several years ago, and we had fought about this for years, and I said, Mom, you know, I really need you to know I, I love the name Harriet now. I, I understand that it's smart, it's confident, it's classy. You know, thank you so much for naming me Harriet. And she says, oh, you were such a difficult child. We've been arguing <laughs> over this for, for 60 years. So um, that would be an incredibly long answer to yes, it's Harriet. Um, nobody ever calls me that. Um, but I'm, I cannot imagine you a, Har- a Harriet, even though it's a lovely name and it's a classic name. Um, I know you by Hank, and when I see you, I know that's Hank Philippi Ryan, and <laughs> that's just who you are. Whenever I see you, <laughs> so you, you will forever yeah. be Hank to me. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. Hank Philippi Ryan. The new book is Trust Me. I am so thrilled that we finally had a chance to talk on air we see each other at all the conferences and we're kind of like running by and saying hello to each other all the time i look forward to spending time with you next week at BoucherCon. congratulations on a beautiful beautiful book i love it and all success to you i i hope that it soars thank you um trust me um, is the joy of my life, and to hear you um, praise it uh, just is all I could possibly ever want. Thank you, Pam. Thank you, Hank Philippi Ryan. You're the best, my friend, and I'll see you next week. Have fun in Washington. Safe travels. You too, love. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's my show for this morning. I will be talking to you on Monday with a very, very special guest. Greg Heron edited a book. 
um, about Florida that will be uh, debuting at BoucherCon. And then Wednesday, I have three more guests. Thursday, we'll be live from BoucherCon for three or four days. I hope you join me. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Thanks for being with me. And thank you, Mom and Dad. Bye-bye. number one number two employee leave a message at the hey jamie it's me jamie this is your daily pep talk i know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group mad harmony but you will bounce back i mean you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the name your price tool it should be you giving me the pep talk now get out there hit that high note and take mad harmony all the way to nationals this year sorry it's pitchy progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family has big plans for Labor Day weekend, but our outfits aren't measuring up. Then get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's huge Labor Day sale is on now. Get 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, 50% off all tees, and 50% off all sweatshirts and hoodies for the whole family. 50% off all those styles? That's a big deal. So is this. Styles start at just six bucks at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Change of plans. We're spending the weekend at Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 830 to 93. Excludes in store clearance. Active licensed and men's package tees.